You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. So we're in the midst of a sermon series called The Heart Matters. As one pastor said to Landon and I at our pastor's breakfast that we have once a month, gee, Pastor Brett, I wonder how you came up with that sermon series, The Heart Matters. It was through my heart surgery just recently that I just came back from a couple of Sundays ago um, that I began to realize that my physical heart is very important. Now, you might say you're 45 years old. You should have known it before the surgery. However, it came to real fortition. But then it began to, as I sat in my hospital room and recovered and thought about some things, it began to make it clear to me, God began to make it clear to me that it is important about our spiritual heart as well. And so up in front of you, there's some pictures that one of our pastoral interns at one of our other EC churches drew. And those are just pictures to remind us of the, of the, of the, uh, the, the journey that we're all on. We, we start off with justification that, that, we, that we don't deserve it, but Jesus dies for us. And, and so it's just as if we didn't sin. And then we move to sanctification, and, and that's taking that gift, that treasure, and living it out and being different than the rest of the world. It's probably one of the biggest struggles in 2021 because we want to be liked, right? Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody, no one wants to be the bad guy that stands up for the truth in the midst of everybody else standing up for everything else. And so in sanctification, it is doing just that. It's being set apart. It's saying, no, I won't go with the rest of the crowd just because the rest of the crowd is going there. I will only do what the word of God has asked me to do. And then we come all the way over here to my left, your right, and it's glorification. It's where we have met Jesus, and, and, it, and it's the, the most perfect of situations where our heart has been glorified. We are in heaven now. We are with him. We, we have made it. We are perfect with him. And so it's, it's, it's this really this blank space in between sanctification and glorification that that Pastor Landon and I have been spending lots of time. Because we believe that if, if we can help you and help ourselves, remember, no, no sermon is preached outside of first being preached in our hearts. If we can help you live in this time, boy, that's huge. Now, we come to this passage, and it's a passage about giving. And whenever we come to a message about giving, there's always that fear in everyone's heart. What will pastor say? Will I be offended by what pastor says? Let me be clear about a few things before we get into what the scripture says this morning. First, today it is not my goal to call out anyone. In fact, we're going to learn rather than commanding generosity, the apostle Paul looked at it in a very different way. He never commanded generosity. You'll see it. We'll get there. Second, I like to make something abundantly clear whenever I get anywhere close to this topic. Whatever reports of giving here at Faith Church you see, I see the same reports. Let me go one step farther. What I'm saying is I do not know, nor do I want to know. 
There are some pastors who think they should know how much any of you are giving. The reason for that in my mind is simply because I don't want to be accused of loving or not loving someone due to their giving records. And I will not ever look to see. I know the bottom line, and that's all that I need to know. Third, we've done something in the church that I think sometimes hinders the truth of the word of God. We have quickly added treasure, time, and talent to our stewardship discussions. I think we have done so in order to soften the blow of the word of God. That's what we've done. So in other words, when we come to this scripture passage, we, this, is the, this is the argument that I hear back automatically. Oh, yes, I don't give in treasure, but I give in time and I give in talent. And the reason we've done that is because we don't like to sit in the uncomfortable space that scripture talks about. Let me be abundantly clear here, friends. Paul is not talking about talent and treasure in this scripture passage or talent and time. In the scripture passage, he is speaking of treasure only. So we will talk about talent, treasure, time, and all those things. But please understand that what Paul is saying, the apostle Paul is saying in this scripture passage, is very much straight to the heart about treasure. Last, I promise we're going to dive into this passage. This is not preached for any other reason than the principles it will teach us about our hearts. That's it. Just to let you relax a little bit, let me give you the report. You should have seen this, but I'll tell you. Last month, we missed budget by $50. That's all. $50. That's it. Let me tell you something. In the midst of all that is happening, you all have been faithful. And so this is not a disciplinary sermon. No, it's a check your heart sermon to make sure you're walking the path as we should as all be concerned about walking. It's powerful. The Apostle Paul is writing to these Corinthians about generosity. This is the background of the context of what we're talking about. Paul does not want to command generosity from the Corinthians because if one is commanded to be generous then you are not generous. (laughs) Catch that. If you are commanded to be generous, and you are generous because you are commanded to be it, you are not generous in the beginning. Generosity comes from the heart, not from the command. So rather than command the necessity to be generous as Christians, Paul first describes the example of generosity from the Macedonian Christians. Despite the severe test of affliction they were experiencing, as well as their extreme poverty, the Christians in Macedonia begged for the joy and grace of giving to the needy Christians in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul farther drew their attention to the example of Christ, who for our sakes became poor so that we could be rich in him. In 2 Corinthians 9, he continues to call for these Christians to encourage heartfelt generosity in these Christians by teaching them important principles about giving. Here's the first important principle about giving. It's your first blank on your sermon outline, I do believe. Here it is. Be ready to give eagerly. Your sermon outline looks like this. It's in your bulletin if you want to fill in the 
gaps you may, um, be ready to give eagerly. Verses 9, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia, we're ready to give, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we may not say anything about you. We, we, may, we not saying anything about you would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous, generous gifts you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. See, Paul continues to encourage these Christians, noting that he does not need to write them about his ministry of helping the needy Christians in Jerusalem because he knows they are eager to do so and their desire to help Paul has been telling the Christians in Macedonia about how the Corinthians were ready to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. But Paul wants to make sure that they are ready when he comes so that they are not embarrassed by not being prepared. Notice again, I want you to notice something in verse 5 in particular. It's on your sermon outline. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers in advance to finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a gift, not as one begrudgingly given. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, when it comes to giving, when it comes to a heart, we need to be ready and eager to give. The Apostle Paul is saying to us that the reality is, is that what's happening in the Corinthian churches is that he wants to make sure that they are set and ready to give and eager to give so that when the time comes to give, they aren't just kind of throwing it together and being like, oh, well, I guess I should give and, and complaining about it and doing it grudgingly. But doing it with a willing heart. And a desire to give. Paul wants this to be a blessing to the Corinthians, not an extortion or under compulsion. It's powerful. I don't know about you, but I always looked at this scripture passage before coming to it for today and thought, man, Paul, you're, you're really rude. But he can't be any more loving. Look, you've promised to do this. You've promised to give. You've promised to do this. And I want you to be ready. And I want you to be eager to give. But the second principle that he gives them is this. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Here's what he says. The principle Paul puts forward is this. Uh, just let me read this scripture passage first. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows generosity generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. Now, the Apostle Paul knows his audience. He knows it well, and maybe I know my audience, hopefully, too. Many of you have gardens. How many of you would expect your garden to produce beautiful tomatoes if you never planted them? (laughs) How many of you would expect your garden to plant and to bring 30 tomatoes if you planted one plant of tomatoes? Now, Maybe we could get 30 out of one. I don't know. That would be pretty miraculous. But see, this is the farming principle that Paul brings. He's saying to them as farmers, as people who would understand this, listen, when you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And he doesn't say it in a mean way, and he doesn't say it as punishment or discipline. He says it straightforward, and he says to them in love, Listen, you're you're, you're sitting here and you're looking at this situation and you're saying, I don't understand why this isn't happening, why the kingdom isn't growing, why things aren't happening. I don't get it. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is maybe, just maybe, you know, I, I don't know, but maybe, just maybe, it's because you have reaped sparingly that you are sowing sparingly. Sowing sparingly is to withhold giving and to lack generosity. Sowing bountifully is to be generous and giving lovingly. Verse 7 talks about what Paul is talking about giving and generosity when he uses, again, this farming principle. Each must give as they decided in their heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion how does this play out in 2021 and 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 you know forgive me if i step on some toes but sometimes that's needed um sometimes not all the time but sometimes Well, pastor isn't choosing the songs I really want to sing, so I'll cut back on my offering. That'll teach them. Well, the church isn't really doing what I want them to do, so I'll just not give offering. That'll teach them. Hmm. Sounds like we're giving under compulsion, not out of a joy for the Lord. Don't don't forget, when I say these examples, I was a church member once before, too. I mean, before I was a pastor. I sat in the pew and had my opinions. In fact, some people have told me that pastors are the worst kind of congregation members. Because we know what we expect. And so when we sit in a congregation that we're not serving, we look around and say, well, this this should be changed, this should be changed, this should be done, this should be done. And the Apostle Paul says here, listen, if if you sow with that kind of attitude, here's what the Apostle Paul is literally saying to the Corinthian church, it's okay, sow with that kind of attitude. You want to sow with that kind of attitude? Sow with that kind of attitude. But then don't wonder why God hasn't reaped greatly. 
Don't wonder why God hasn't brought in the, the harvest. If you sow with that kind of attitude. Now remember, the Corinthian church, if, if I did a sermon series on the Corinthian church, it would be the church going wild. The Corinthian church does nothing, hardly anything right. So the fact that, that Paul is kind of encouraging them in this, they must be doing something right in this situation. You know, they, 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 they hog down the communion before anybody gets there. They eat, you know, you can read about that in, in I believe, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. You can read about how the women were putting up their hair in beautiful ways, and there's nothing, no problem with that, but the only thing was is that their hearts weren't in the right place, and they were doing it, so they were seen, and so Paul has to correct them on that. You can read about in 1 Corinthians 3. Yes, I've been through the entire book. You can read about them fighting over who's better, Paul, Apollos, um, all these different leaders that they had, and Paul has to remind them that, hey, listen, Paul came, I came, and I watered. Apollos came, and he grew. And so we're just workers of, the, of Jesus Christ. There's nothing about either one of us that's great and wonderful. We are imperfect. But again, they, they chose sides. They're fighting in 1 Corinthians 3. You can see it clearly. And so all this is going on, and, 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 and Paul comes down, and he says, listen, the reason you haven't reaped greatly is because you've sowed sparingly. Now, what I want to be clear on, what this does not mean, is so many people take this verse out of context so that it means if you will give, then God gives you more. It's what we call the blab it and grab it gospel. Or prosperity gospel. It's what some preachers on television push every day. You give me $10, I'll turn it into $10,000. You will be blessed if you give. And you will be blessed if you give. That is not what God, what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. Paul is not saying give so that God will give you more to spend on your selfish worldly needs. The purpose of this principle will be more fully expressed as we read throughout this this next paragraph, but the, the point is, is not to give some now so that we can have more later. That's not the goal here. The goal is to give and to sow and not do so sparingly. Fears of heartfelt generosity soothed is the next principle. Here's what it says. Look at this, verse 7 and 8 first. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Give not reluctantly or under compulsion. We covered that. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be abound in every good work. What God's doing here is quelling all of their fears and our fears for being generous. If we are generous, then we're not going to suffer ourselves. So we think we need to hold closely to money and not be willing to give, right? That's the reality. The reality is, is that we grew up in this, this thinking that if we hoard it, it's fine. 
Hoard it, keep it, keep it, keep it. Don't give, don't give. Keep it, keep it, keep it. And what the Apostle Paul is doing is going after this kind of thinking in verses 7 through 8. And he's saying, listen, I, I really want you to catch what's underlined there. I think it's underlined on your screen. Yes. For God loves a cheerful giver. Anytime Scripture says God loves this kind of thing, we ought to sit up and take a notice. What does God love? He loves a cheerful giver. What does that look like? It looks like celebrating when we give. That's what it looks like. <laughs> Again, I've been there. I've done this. It's not this. Here goes the pastor asking for the offering again. I've been there. No, it's a, it's a cheerful giver. One EC church actually took this to the nth degree. And, and I remember watching them online and they would, they would actually literally, whenever the pastor, the pastor trained his people, I don't know how he did this because this would take forever to do this. But as soon as he said, we're going to collect today's tithes and offering, an eruption of applause erupted. Now someday you may surprise me and do that. But he was training his people to take what Paul says literally, because we should. But here's the deal. It's not what we do on the outside. It's what we do on the inside that Paul's nailing on. Listen, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God loves a person who wants to give and does so. We do not need to be commanded to be generous. Why should we be generous? Right here, Paul says to the Corinthian church, look, I could have came at you with a different angle. Paul says, I could have been very mean about this. You got to give, you got to give, you got to give. This is why you got to give and all these things. But here's what I'm telling you, people. Here's what I'm saying to you, Corinthians. The apostle Paul says to them, listen, you want to know why you should be thankful and why you should be giving and why you should have a generous, heartfelt generosity? It's because that's the heart that God has and he wants you to have the same one. Right? Isn't that the goal of the Christian life, to be like God? Isn't that the goal of discipleship, to, to take on some of his qualities? We do not need to be commanded to be generous. We want to be generous because that's the kind of heart that God loves. Paul's saying that we're on the wrong side of the scale with God if we sow sparingly and lack generosity. Farther giving reluctantly or under compulsion is sowing sparingly. God wants generosity. God loves generosity. We must consider this principle and let it weigh on our, on our hearts. Again, the goal this morning is not to say, hey, come, come with it. Come with it. We need to do this. We need to do that. No, the goal this morning is to show you what does a cheerful heart look like in our giving the second reason we can be free to give and be generous is found in verse 8. Here's what it says. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be abound in every good work. God is the one who makes us abound. 
God gives to us, not so we can have selfish pursuit of wealth, but that we will have all we need and have abundance for good deeds. Look, I've heard from you even this week. I had this in this, in this sermon this week, and this week I sat down with a congregation member who will remain nameless, and I sat across the, 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 um, yeah, the table from this person, and you know what they said to me? They said, Pastor, you know, it's funny. The more I give, the more I have for his work. They give to others when they have need. They help others and do good for others. And somehow God continues to give them sufficiently more than what they need. They're not on the streets without food and clothing. They continue to be sustained by God and not only this, but they are able to continue to give to others as they have need. But then I've also heard the others. Not this week, but I've heard them. Christians who are hanging on to the things that they have so tightly as they can. And unlike Matthew, where Jesus says, build up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal, they do the exact opposite. They lack generosity and they believe they cannot give it at all. And yet they have, they never have anything. They're always strapped. Now all I'm going to say is, as I wonder, is the principle that God is teaching in 2 Corinthians 9 so important that if you'll actually use the principle and be generous and give, he will allow you to be more sufficient and continue to give to others. But the only truthful way to know that is to do it in your heart. I can't make you do it. The Apostle Paul can't make you do it. Paul uses two scriptures to prove this idea even farther. It's almost as if we need convincing concerning this principle of God. The first quotation is in Psalm 112, verse 9, and is quoted in 2 Corinthians 9, 9. Now there's temptation to misread this quotation. The quotation from Psalm 112 is not a description of God, but of righteous people. Listen to this context. It says these words. I believe it'll be on the screen. Verse 5 of 112. It is well with man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be minded. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is already steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in the triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Notice what the psalmist talks about. 
how God sustains the righteous person who is just, deals generously, distributes freely, and gives to the poor. God's constant resupply allows them to continually give to be a helper to others. But then we come to verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 9. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is a reference from Isaiah 55, 10. Why is God going to supply these things to us? It is so that we can have, it is not so that we can have cars and expensive houses. No, God supplies these things to us so that we can increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God supplies this so that you can reach more for him. You can walk into somebody's life, bless them, and be able to say to them, this is because of what Christ has done for me. You know, so many people feel so uncomfortable when we talk about these things, and yet, what is the one scripture passage that we memorize from little on up? For God so loved the world that he, that he what? What did he do? Gave his what? One and only son. Why is it that we are so uncomfortable with the giving, yet here's the one scripture passage that you've memorized from a very young age. And what's it about? It's about this God who had this son, who he could have kept in the comforts of heaven. He could have kept in all of these things, but yet he gave his one and only son so that you and I, who have a relationship with him, could have eternal life with the Father and be in heaven for the rest of our lives and have eternal life, even starting now, we can have the blessings of eternal life. It's not for just the future. The very scripture passage that we've memorized from little on up is all about him giving the ultimate price. And we can't sit and listen to the Apostle Paul talk about giving for 20 minutes without saying, oh man, here we go again. Hmm. Puts it into perspective, right? And that's not my, I'll tell you, I found that in a commentary. It actually said evangelical pastors struggle to teach on giving. And it's because it makes people uncomfortable. And why does it make people uncomfortable? This commentary goes on to say, because from age on up, little on up, we've learned this very big God has given a very big sacrifice for every one of us. And when we're asked to sacrifice, somehow it is more offensive and it hurts. Ooh. And so the Apostle Paul here in verse 10 is saying, listen, I will supply and increase your store of seed, and I will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, I will allow you to point people to Jesus. That's what he's talking about later on in the paragraph, and we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Here's what the last, or the next to last principle is, producing thanksgiving. Producing thanksgiving. Here's what it says. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you approved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience, and that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I want you to notice something. There's a double giving going on here. Notice what he says. Notice what Paul says. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's the, that's the principle. It'll produce thanksgiving. As we give, we will be more thankful for what God has given us, and we will give him the praise back. But this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs, listen to what Paul says, to the Lord's people right here, but it is overflowing in many expression of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the Christ of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Here's what it means, Faith Church. I want you to grasp it. Here's what it means. When you give to the work of the ministry, you are giving to the work, yes, for your brothers and sisters' sake, but you are also giving to the work for people who are yet to become your brothers and sisters' sake. Hmm. You are giving so that more will come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. By your testimony, by what you have provided through your ministry, doing good for others and being generous will cause people to give thanks to God and glorify God. Our purpose is to cause people to give thanks to God and glorify God. This is one of the ways we can accomplish this. Paul states this in verse 13. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. I love the words that Paul uses because he uses that word submission. We hate it in 2021, particularly when we're talking about roles of genders. But here's why he uses that word, because the same word can be used of what God the Father did when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross for you and I. He submitted, he submitted. The same word can be used for what Christ did in that scripture passage that Pastor Landon read from Philippians chapter 2. What does it say? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Christ submitted to the fact that you and I needed a savior. And so he came down from heaven and he provided that blood sacrifice for each and every one of us. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is that when you submit, when you give in submission to the local church, to what God is doing, you are doing something similar to what God the Father did and what Christ the Son did by submitting. It's not easy. Do you think it was an easy decision? Do you think Jesus hanging on that cross, knowing what I was going to be like before I came to know him? knowing that there would be people that would literally die without him, even though he did what he did? Do you think that was an easy decision? See, we sometimes dramatize it and glamorize it, and we say, well, yeah, it was just Jesus' decision. He didn't, you know. No, Jesus had the power. The, the, the old song is right. He had the power to call 10,000 angels down and zap everyone standing there at the cross if he wanted to. He didn't have to stay on that cross. 
God the Father didn't have to watch his son suffer like that. He didn't have to do that. And so the reality is, is that God states this, this truth again and again. This submission is something that, that he shows us. We see this kind of submission in this kind of scriptures where, where um, in Acts chapter 4, where it says there was not a Christian in need in Jerusalem for people who had land and houses sold that they had so that those were, who were in need would be cared for. Do you think that generated thanksgiving to God when these Christians who had possessions sold their possessions to help these other Christians who were in need? Of course it did. Paul says that this thanksgiving will happen in Jerusalem and the Corinthians show their generosity toward others. Christians will see the gospel at work because of your generosity because of you contributing to their needs. The picture is that Christians will give to other Christians in financial needs, and those who receive the grace will give thanks to God, glorify God, and long and pray for those who showed such generosity. It's powerful. It's a reminder. of What does it look like to give with a cheerful heart? Not begrudgingly, not frustratingly, but to give. And watch what the testimony of Jesus Christ, what happens. What makes the difference between the sparing giver and the generous giver? It's our hearts. Our hearts in relationship with God. That's what makes a difference. That's it. Some will come and say to me, you know, how do I do this principle? How do I practice this principle in my life? Listen, friends, the only way you can do it is to go deeper with him. Here's what happens, and, and we're going to go back to that, that illustration of the first week of this sermon series. We were in Jeremiah 29, and remember what the, what the Israelites were doing with Jesus, or with God at that time, and Yet God says, I have this plan for you. I, I have this plan that you will be prosper and you will grow. And they're in, they're in, they're in dire straits because they're in a world that they don't know. They're, they're in captivity and all of this stuff is going on in their lives. And yet God comes through with this wonderful message and says, listen, we, I got this. I know what I'm doing. But do you remember how they were treating God? If you don't, I'll, I'll remind you. They were treating him like a genie. You remember that? Times were down, and so we would pull the genie out of the bottle, and we would say, give me one wish, God, please, one wish. God, please save our nation. And then, and then the genie would go back in the bottle, and they would, and they would begin to do whatever they were going to do. They'd go back to idol worship. They'd go back to whatever they were doing beforehand, and they would wonder why. 
that at one point in Jeremiah, remember, we looked up to this. I'm not making this up. You can look it up later. At one point in Jeremiah, he said, don't even pray for these people. Do you remember that? Don't even pray for these people because they are so far from who I want them or who I need them to be that even if you pray for them, I'm not going to listen. And you remember, some of you, I remember the look of shock on your, on, your, on your face when I read that scripture passage. Like, I can't believe God just said that about his people because God had had enough. You don't treat me like a genie. You don't pull me out of the bottle and then do what you, you make all these promises and then go back to what you're doing and continue to do it and continue to do it until the point where sooner or later God says, you know what? I don't even know what to do anymore. And I know I'm tiptoeing on some theological ground that people don't like to tiptoe on, but I, I got to be honest with you. The nation of Israel, I mean, why is there a new covenant starting in the, old, starting in the New Testament? Why is Jesus Christ a new covenant? Because the old covenant was divorced. It was broken, friends. He made a covenant and they didn't keep their end. That's why there's a new covenant. And so what happens in, a, in, in the United States sometimes is that I see it. You know, we, we get in these jams and then we want to pull God out of the genie ba- box or genie uh, whatever. And we want to say to God, hey, God, can you come through for us one more time? Can you get us this way? Can you do this? He does it and we go right back to where we were before. And may I suggest that sometimes we go even farther than we did before. I mean, I often think, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstepping my bounds here this morning. Andy, you can call a PRT tomorrow morning. That's fine. I won't be there until after Heather's mom's funeral, but I will be there. But the reality is, the reality is, is that we have stepped so far beyond that. I look back sometimes and I think to myself, I... I am literally, sometimes I give praise to God. Now, hear me out on this, that my grandparents are gone. Because I hear the things that are being said out there, I see the things on television, and I say to myself, oh, my grandfather would be fit to be tied. He would be so brokenhearted. My grandmother wouldn't even know what to do with the situation. I'm thankful they're with the Lord and they don't have to worry about it. I'll tell you who I'm really concerned for, Freddie and Serenity. If we don't get this ship straightened. If we don't stop treating God like a genie in a bottle. And only calling on them when we need them. And we're the biggest ones. I'm speaking for myself. We get comfortable. And we walk away from it. What's the difference between the sparing giver and the generous giver? It's how we treat our relationship with God. It's what's in our hearts.
this has been the essence of this message. Let me just kind of give you a review. It's the last slide. God loves a cheerful giver. God will give us all sufficiency and will reap bountifully so we can continue to be generous and do good works. God is thanked and glorified when we are generous. And we are displaying the heart of the gospel when we are generous. Let us be generous towards one another in our community. And let me, like the Apostle Paul, end on this. You've done a great job with it. Keep it up. I'm serious. We have been through a lot. And to be in the position we are in is is amazing. But I also want to be careful saying that. Because what can happen in my own head is say, we can relax now. No, that's when Satan hits. That's when things happen. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us give generously. Let us watch what God will do when people from Temple and Lauderdale and Reading and other places come to know him as their Lord and Savior. I long for the day when more people will come to know him. And I believe we are in a day and an age where they are ready. There are people that are tuning in that you would have never thought would have tuned in. What's this about this gospel? Keep giving. Keep giving through, yes, your treasure, but your time and your talent as well. Keep giving, not reluctantly or because pastor spent 35 minutes preaching on it, but because your God gave his son for you if you were the only one. If you're the only one. His reaction is no different. And so I pray that Faith Church will continue to be a giving church. One who gives with a grateful heart. One who gives cheerfully because of what God gave to them cheerfully. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for giving. And Lord, while this message is not one that we preach often, it is one that needs to be preached. To remind our hearts of how encouraging it is when we do give generously. May we give with a heart not reluctant. May we give in a way that shows people Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving 
the ultimate gift for each of us. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 